So I keep telling you guys this stuff. Um, this is why you need to come to Tuesday Conversations, because then you can uh, come up and do the reading for scripture reading and then steal all my jokes and my good points that I bring up at Tuesday Conversation and just completely screw up my sermon. So that sounds great. That, that's why you need to come. Yeah, it's good. Uh, so we're going to be starting this new sermon series, uh, embarking on a sermon series called What Do We Do With The Old Testament? And believe it or not, we will be asking this one particular question throughout this sermon series, namely, what do we do with the Old Testament? Brilliant, right? I know. Um, so, quick primer, make sure everybody's on the same page. So, the Bible is divided into two sections, which are traditionally called the Old and the New Testaments. And, and the New Testament is all the stories about Jesus and about the early church post-Jesus. And then the Old Testament is everything before that point. And so uh, you've got, like, for example, the creation stories. You've got Noah and the flood. You've got the Exodus. You've got King David and Solomon and all that jazz. Basically, it's a huge, broad range of stuff, all of it pre-Jesus. Now, there's a, couple quest- there, there's a couple reasons that we might ask this question of what do we do with the Old Testament. Because, uh, I mean, there's a lot of violence and sex and super sketchy behavior in the Old Testament. That's part of it. Uh, But then also, for our purposes today at least, just as importantly, there's a variety of laws in there. And so basically, the Old Testament contains the entire legal code of this ancient civilization. And so we have to figure out what do we do with this stuff. Right, because and ultimately, what Christians have kind of decided to do over the years is ignore it. I mean, to greater or lesser degrees, uh, but you know, we don't keep kosher, we don't stone adulterers to death, we don't stone disobedient children to death, we don't stone witches to death. It, you get the gist. But um, then we're left with this following with this question, right? If we're not following this stuff anymore, if we're not thinking, oh, if it's in the Bible, we have to follow it, right? Then what do we do with it? What do we do with it? Why why is this stuff even in the Bible then? Or why do we even keep it in the Bible, right? These are the types of questions that will be taken up during the sermon series, and all of which are wrapped up in this big question of what do we do with the Old Testament, right? So our story today speaks to this question. It's a super interesting story, but really only when you dig in a little bit. Um, And as we're digging into the story, keep in the back of your mind this question of, what did they do with the Old Testament? All right, so our story today starts off in this place called Antioch. We're up in uh, Turkey, modern-day Turkey, and so quite a bit north of Jerusalem, the the hub of the Jesus movement and the earliest church and where Jesus was and all this stuff. And so in Antioch up in Turkey, we're, they're just doing their thing, right? They're just hanging out, being in church, and then these interlopers come into town who come into town and they start saying, Gentiles, that is non-Jews, they need to get circumcised before they can be fully followers of Jesus. And why would they say that? Because the Bible says that. I mean, it's pretty plain and simple. They were like, it says in the Bible, you should be circumcised if you're God's people. 
Therefore, it's pretty straightforward. It says it, we do it. And so they come in and they are saying this. Followers of Jesus need to be circumcised. However, believe it or not, Gentiles who joined up with this Jesus movement, um, they were like, I I like a lot of this stuff. I'm totally on board. Um, I'm going to pass on the circumcision part. Because, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Not very pleasant. Like, really not very pleasant. So I'm good with everything else. I'll just pass on that part. Right? And so uh, Antioch, remember, now this is where we started our story, right? Antioch is this huge metropolis. It's, it's the third biggest city in the Roman Empire, right? And so there's lots of people around, and, and relevantly, there's a lot of Gentiles around. And since they're not Jews, they are not already circumcised. And so the Antioch church, led by Paul and Barnabas, come to this rather pragmatic conclusion that insisting that males get circumcised to join the church is going to turn people off. Not going to be very good for recruitment. So they're like, okay, we'll, we'll pass. We don't, we don't need to force them to be. We don't need to force them to do that. If that's, gonna be, if that's the thing that's standing between them and joining our movement, we'll adapt. We'll make, we'll make it work. So the church in Antioch had come to this conclusion, right? That Gentiles, non-Jews, did not need to be circumcised to fully participate in the community. They're not going to be made second-class citizens just because of this, right? However, as we just saw before, there's this group of outsiders who come in and just traipse into the city and start saying, no, no, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. That's not legit. We follow the Bible, Right? And the Bible says you're supposed to do something, you're supposed to do it. Right? I mean, and many of you are familiar with this point of view, right? From modern day, right? Many of you may very well hold this point of view. Like, you can't squirrel out of stuff the Bible says. You can't just pick and choose what you want to follow. You gotta, you know, it's gotta be consistent. If the Bible says it, you gotta do it. Right? You guys have heard this before. So, in this situation, we've got these two sides, these two wars of ideas of what do we do. With the Old Testament, on one side we've got these out-of-towners, right? And they're insisting, uh, if the Bible says it, you've got to do it. And therefore, Gentiles must be circumcised. And then, on the other hand, we've got Paul and Barnabas and, their, and, and the other leaders of the Antiochian church that are saying, if you're go- they're not going to insist on it. They're not going to insist on it if it creates barriers to people joining. And, and then the broader church in Antioch, right? This whole feud is going on. And they don't know how to solve this brawl. It gets to be this huge fight, just explosive. And, and, and re- remember why this is a big thing again, right? So remember Antioch's third biggest city in the empire, so tons of people, huge metropolis. And they, and especially tons of non-Jewish people, they ain't going to be getting a whole lot of folks joining up if the cost of admission is chopping off super sensitive body parts, Right? you're not going to get very many people. And so the church of Antioch has no clue how to to solve this dispute. They're like, dude, this is above our pay grade. We we don't know what to do. Uh, You know what we're going to do? Y'all, you can go down to Jerusalem. And that's where the, where that's the hub of the movement and where, where the, the biggest church leaders are. That's where Jesus lived and all this stuff, right? You, you can... Uh, 
they'll figure out what to do. They'll tell us what to do. However, Antioch is not right next door to Jerusalem. Antioch is 300 miles away. So question, how long would it take you to walk 300 miles? Yeah. I mean, so in our Tuesday conversations, we had, a, we had a decent guess of, you know, if we didn't mind maybe 10 miles a day or something, we'd be on the road for about a month, right? This is, uh, and so, right, what we're not saying is, it's not just like, oh, I'm going to ring up my friend and ask for an opinion, right? To help them, have them help us solve this issue. It's more like, okay, y'all who are going, you're going to be giving up about a quarter of a year to try and figure out this question. To try and figure out this question. And that's a really long time. And so this issue must have been really important to them if they were like, oh yeah, that's worth it. That's worth it getting that sorted out. Right? It's just this lightning rod question. It's explosive and everybody's super entrenched and just digging in their heels and nobody's budging. Right? And so these parties, these two parties trek down to Jerusalem. Trek down to Jerusalem to meet those disciples, the apostles. And there's the outsiders, of course, arguing that it's in the Bible, so you need to follow it. So Gentiles need to be circumcised. And you've got Paul and Barnabas saying, no, we've got to lower the barrier of entry so that we don't drive people away. So, like, if we step back for a second, look at our question for today. What is each side saying that we should be doing with the Old Testament? Right? So these outsiders, on the one hand, they have a, they have a very logical position. It's very straightforward, Right? The Bible says it. We do it. Very straightforward, right? On the other hand, you've got Paul and company and way less straightforward, right? They, they like the Bible in general. They, they think there's some good stuff in there, sure, right? But, but not on the question of circumcision, right? Rather, it, for them, we have to take into account the cultural context we're in and people's lived experiences and and then that informs what we do or don't follow in the Old Testament. And so ultimately for Paul, that other stuff, right, the, the, the cultural stuff, the, socio, the social stuff, ends up trumping the Bible itself, at least for parts, uh, uh, at least for some questions. So ultimately this whole conflict centers on this question of how do we, what do we do with the Old Testament? How do we view the authority of the Old Testament. So these two parties tramp all the way down to Antioch, uh, from Antioch down to Jerusalem, and they begin to bring this conundrum before this council. Okay, how do we think about the Bible? Right? It says that we need to be doing this thing, but in our context, it's creating big problems for us, and we don't think we should. So, what should we do? So the leaders take up this question and. And, and this is like Peter and James and the apostles, the people who've been with Jesus a long time, right? And, they, and, and these two sides argue in front of them, kind of like the Supreme Court here in their case, right? And, and then the council discusses it internally, and it's, it is not pretty, right? This is, a, this is an ideological brawl, right? It's this cage match. It's, it, it's, it's just a big old fight. But ultimately, at least as Acts tells it, the council agrees and sides with Paul. What they say is, okay, here's what we decided. 
we're going to narrow it down to just four things that you have to follow from the Jewish ritual code. These, these four things that are like, uh, for, for Gentile converts, right? They're the essentials, the most important stuff that you can't, we, we just can't give it up, right? These are the things that you just need to make sure to follow. And so we've got four things, right? So don't eat meat that was sacrificed to gods other than the God of Israel. No sexual immorality. No, uh, don't eat an animal that was strangled. And no consuming blood, right? Circumcision isn't on that list. It's not one of the essentials. So except for the sexual immorality one, you know, these three mean that effectively you should only eat kosherly prepared meat, right? So, I mean, Peter, so if, if you remember back uh, Acts 10, so five chapters earlier, Peter had this vision and basically it made it okay for every type of animal to be eaten. There's like p- pork and shellfish. They're not an issue anymore. And so that part of the kosher laws have already been wiped out. But what the council says here is the whole preparation, the kosher preparation, that's so important that three-fourths of our rules that we're saying, these are the big things that Gentiles need to follow. Three-fourths of them are about, you need to eat kosher. Right? So how are the apostles seeing the Old Testament? Well, what are they saying we should do with it? So apparently, obviously, they side with Paul, more or less at least. And so things are now debatable for them. It's not just apply everything wholesale from the Old Testament because you have to take into account context. You have to take into account uh, other things that might end up overriding these biblical injunctions, right? And so you've already had, for example, Peter override the, past, the kosher types laws about, uh, on the basis of a mystical experience. And then here we've got overriding circumcision laws on the basis of one's context, but notice what this is not. This is not the apostles saying, Jesus is here, we don't need the Old Testament anymore. Right? Jesus has given us the rules to live, and so we don't need any of that old stuff. No, I mean, the latter church ends up going in that direction, more or less. Right? But note that that's decidedly not what's happening here in Acts. That's not what's happening. They say... The only two things we're striking down really are circumcision here and then previously the kosher types of food. You still have to follow the other ones and especially these kosher preparation laws. They keep saying, you know, you have to follow the Old Testament laws with a couple of very specific individual exceptions. And here's the thing. We, we veer in an unhelpful direction when we ourselves are, um, have broader statements. When we're like, I'm not following the Old Testament. I just follow the New Testament. Right? We'll talk about it more next week. But look, if nothing else, that view, for, I'm pretty sure almost everybody is kind of patently false. Because, I mean, so uh, I'm in doubt anybody here eats purely kosher meat. I'm going to guess. I mean, even if I wanted to, it's really expensive, and so I couldn't afford it. But, you know, so people aren't following these rules here in the New Testament, right? And then, conversely, we don't just ignore the Old Testament laws, because I know know a whole lot of people who love themselves some Ten Commandments, 
right? And, and some loving God with all your heart and soul and mind and, you know, treating compassionately the orphan and the widow. This question of what parts of the Bible we follow is not as straightforward as that. It's complicated. It's complex. And we do ourselves a disservice when we just simplify it down to, I just don't follow the Old Testament, or I don't like the Old Testament, or whatever. And I just follow the New Testament. And because, like, in today's passage, we saw three different groups having three different ways of interpreting what to do with that Old Testament, right? You've got the outsiders saying, you know, we just got to follow it. Just straight up, we got to follow it. And then you've got P, uh, Paul and company saying that it, it, in at least some situations, the Bible should be subservient to cultural necessities. And then the apostles are saying that you should really only consider tweaking individual specific rules rather than just get rid of the whole Old Testament. And what we're doing within this sermon series is we're trying to clarify for ourselves what is that criterion that I'm applying when I'm trying to think about how do we think about the Old Testament? Right? How do I decide what biblical passages are authoritative that I should follow? Right? What, how am I deciding that? Or ultimately, am I just picking the ones that I like and ignoring the ones I don't? Right? Or is there some other way that I'm making those decisions? And then, and then if that's the case, how did I come up with that as the best criterion? Right? Why is that what I chose for how we should think about these questions. And look, I, I'm not going to be answering these questions for you. I'm going to be, what I'm going to be doing during this sermon series is walking alongside of you and, and poking and prodding and trying to stir up some of these thoughts of trying to get us more deeply thinking about how we understand the Bible and authority and morality and obligation. So this week, may you take some of these questions with you. May you turn them over in your mind and engage in self, uh, self-inquiry to try and flesh out a little bit of how you think about the Old Testament and then more broadly, how you should engage your faith. May it be so.